So we are continuing our series that we're calling A Closer Look. We've been looking at different, very common, very quoted, most Googled verses of the Bible. A Closer Look, favorite verses explored. So John 10.10, let's go ahead and read our verse for today. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says this. It's recorded here in John 10.10. Jesus says that there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There are forces in this world that bring destruction, stealing, killing, and destroying. And that's not Jesus. Jesus. He says, that's not me. He says, I have come that they may have life, have it to the full. It says here in the NIV, life abundantly, life more abundantly. In other versions, King James, abundantly. We here see that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, life more abundantly. I looked up the Greek and that word that's translated to the full or abundantly means just exceedingly abundantly, like way more than what you would anticipate overflow, extra, abundant in quality and quantity. So abundant life, life to the full in quality and quantity. Does that sound pretty good to you? Yeah, it sounds really good to me that we can receive life, life to the full, abundant life, abundant quality, abundant quantity. That's what this is all about, this verse. What an incredible, incredible blessing this verse describes. And I think it's a fantastic verse of the Bible. It's something that I didn't understand when I became a new Christian. I did not understand the concept of John 10.10. Somehow I missed it. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But how many people, think that this is a perfect expression of what it means to follow Jesus. Life, life more abundantly. It's just always awesome all the time. Is that it? Is that how this works? Well, here's the deal. In this situation, this verse is absolutely true, but it's only showing part of what it means to walk with Jesus. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's absolutely true, but there's more to it. So if we don't look at a contrasting verse, we may not fully understand what this verse is talking about. So we're going to look at two verses and compare them and contrast them. So we've got John 10, 10 that we already read. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. We're going to contrast that with Luke 9, verse 23. This is also Jesus speaking. And here's what we have in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So deny yourself. That means you have things you want to do. You have priorities in your life. You have goals and expectations, but you just deny that lay it down and you carry your cross, the burden of following Jesus, of making a difference in this world, of fighting the good fight, of standing up against the enemy, standing up against darkness, and sacrificially serving the Lord every day, daily. So, which is it? Is following Jesus a life of blessing and abundance, or a life of self-denial and sacrifice? Right. The answer is yes. <laughs> it is both. 
It is a life of abundance. It is a life of blessing. It is a life of self-denial. It is a life of sacrifice. So how do we understand how these two things come together? Both verses are true. They actually lead to the same place because they're two pieces of the same concept, but they look very different. So if we read Luke 9.23, so like when I was a brand new believer, I got Luke 9.23. I mean, that made sense to me. I'm like, sacrifice, suffering, awesome. You know, like Jesus died for me. Now I'm going to go die for him. You know, like I understood Luke 9.23. I I. I sort of uh, associated myself with the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul got saved, it was, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name, you know? And I was like, okay, I I get it. Jesus died for me. I failed God. I was going the wrong direction. Now I've got to, to fight and I've got to sacrifice and I've got to do that. If we read Luke 9, 23, every week in church for five years and you came every week and that's all we ever talked about, your opinion of following Jesus would be very much focused on self-denial, on sacrifice, on carrying a burden for Jesus, on all the things we have to give. And if we never read John 10, 10, we'd be missing an extremely important part of the gospel. What if we read John 10, 10 every week? For five years, and we talked about the blessings of God and the overflow of God, the abundance of God, the great things, the gift of God, and how He protects us from the one who steals, kills, and destroys. And we just talked about all the good things that God gives us, but we never focused on self denial and sacrifice. Then we'd have a very different picture of what it means to follow Jesus, and each one of them on their own are incomplete. They're both accurate, they're both true, but they're only a piece of the puzzle. The way that I think it's the simplest way to understand this is here we see our job and we see God's job. So our job, what we put into this relationship is self-denial and sacrifice. We follow Jesus. We do that sacrificially. And then God's job is to bring the increase, to bring the blessing, to bring the abundance to our life. So we follow Jesus sacrificially. We disagree with what the Bible says. We say, well, I must be wrong. I'm going with what the Bible says. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it's unpleasant, I'm going to choose to follow the scriptures. And then God gives us abundant life in response as the other side of the coin with regards to that. So in order to get a good grip on this, we're going to read the context of John 10, 10 and the context of Luke 9, 23 in order to try to get a broader picture because when we read the whole section, it starts to make more sense. So we'll start in John 9 verse 40 and get a a view of what's going on here. So Jesus here is talking to the masses. There's been a man who was born blind, who's been miraculously given the ability to see through the power of Christ. He's prayed for him. He was able to see. And then Jesus is bringing that physical healing into telling them about spiritual blindness. 
about how, you know, sometimes we need an awakening spiritually so that we can see. And that's kind of the topic that's being talked about is spiritual blindness. He's using the miracle to make the point about being spiritually blind. And then the people who are the experts in the law, there's Pharisees there, the Pharisees, Sadducees, there's these different experts in the law. These Pharisees would be high up religious leaders of the day. And so they're hearing about spiritual blindness and they ask Jesus this question. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind too?" So they say, Hey, we're the experts. We know all about God and everything. Are you saying we're spiritually blind? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. So he says to these religious leaders, you're leading people in the wrong way. You're giving people an oppressive, harsh religion that isn't the right way of God. And you claim to know everything. And yet you're leading people into hardship and pain and into basically false religion. You know, I mean, it was the right religion, but they were teaching it in such a way as to bring oppression and darkness on people instead of peace and joy and blessing. So he says, since you claim that you know what you're doing, you're guilty. John 10 verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus has gone into this analogy about sheep in the sheep pen. And from what I understand, back in those days, the the shepherds would keep their sheep in a big communal pen at night. So they would bring all the sheep together into this big safe area. And then in the morning, they would go, hey, sheep, come here. And then those particular sheep that belonged to that particular shepherd would be, oh, there's my guy. And they would just leave and all the other sheep would stay. And then another one would come say, hey, and then those ones, would be, oh, there's my guy. And they would go with that one. So it's an amazing, amazing scenario. And what Jesus is saying is that when he calls out, Among the people, his sheep will hear him and follow him, and they won't listen to others. So he's saying to the the Pharisees, look, these aren't your sheep, and they're not going to listen to you because you're not telling them the right things anyway. They need to follow me. And uh, their response, verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. I love this verse. <laughs> so he's, he's explaining things this way. And they're kind of like, what? I thought we were talking about spiritual blindness. Now you're talking about shepherds and sheep. So they're confused. So Jesus continues. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So the ones who came before, the religious leaders, the, the different people who claim to be the Messiah, they, they're, not, they're not right. They, the sheep did not listen. Verse 9. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is explaining that he cares about the sheep and he wants the sheep to have a good life, have life to the full, have life of, of good quality and quantity. He's trying to help the sheep. He's trying to make a difference for them. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So now he goes from being the gate to the good shepherd. He's making the same point over and over again, just saying it in different ways. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. So again, we see, you know, the hired hand is obviously uh, directed towards the Pharisees. You know, you claim to care about the people that you're leading, but you don't sacrifice for them. If something bad happens, you just let the bad thing happen to them. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not going to let that happen. But the wolf comes and scatters the sheep when the hireling is overlooking them. So the wolf can come and cause all kinds of problems. So we've got, we've got bad shepherds or bad religious leaders. And then we've got the wolf, which is this sinful world or the devil or the bad, bad things that can happen. So the sheep are not protected when they're under the care of the hireling, but under the good shepherd, they're safe. Verse 13, the man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I love this verse because it's talking about us. You know, this is us, the sheep of the other sheep pen. You know, we're the ones who weren't there. Maybe somebody in here is of Jewish descent. I'm not. Most of us aren't. And we are grafted in to the line of Abraham. We get to participate in the good things, the blessings of God. We get to receive that even though we're not part of the original group. We get brought in. There are other sheep, not of this sheep pen. And so those who hear, they hear the truth of God. They hear about Jesus and they're like, yes, this is where I need to go. Those are the ones that follow his voice. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So here in these verses, we see that Jesus is comparing himself, the good shepherd, to, you know, weak or bad religion. And he's also explaining how he is there to protect the sheep, not to uh, run away like the hired hand, the hireling, but he will defend the sheep against the wolf. So the main points that we see here is that when we follow Jesus, we get many good things. A devoted, good shepherd, and abundant life. There's an important implication here. Are all the sheep described as being the sheep of the good shepherd? No, only the ones who listen to his voice. Only the ones who follow him. So this blessing of life to the full of abundance is not for all the sheep, but the sheep who follow the good shepherd. 
The sheep who hear the voice of God and say, that's where I'm going. But the ones who refuse, they don't get that same blessing. It's not for them. Now, the good news of the gospel that we looked at two weeks ago when we did John 3.16 is, whosoever believes in him shall not perish. You don't have to wonder, well, I wonder if... I'm one of the sheep, his sheep, or if I'm just one of the others and I'm just in real trouble. Well, you get to make that decision. You get to decide whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. It's up to you. You pick that. Jesus has already died for you. The opportunity to follow him has already been presented to you. You get to choose. Am I going to listen to his voice or am I going to reject it? Am I going to follow or am I going to go my own way? So this is what we see in John chapter 10, we also see false teachers, false religion, false experts. What happens with them is you get stolen from and you get abandoned when the day of evil comes. You get taken from and you get abandoned. Now, our walk with God, our church experience, our being part of the body of Christ. And I, I, I hope your experience hasn't been that you get things stolen from you and then you get abandoned. I hope that's not what's happened with you. But let me tell you, if your allegiance, if your relationship isn't with the good shepherd, you're in danger. So the good shepherd is Jesus. Is pastor Mike, the good shepherd? No, he's just this guy standing up in the front telling you about the good shepherd. Okay. The good shepherd is Jesus. There is one shepherd and one flock. We are together following Jesus. I cannot provide for you the things that Jesus can provide for you. This church cannot provide for you the things Jesus can provide for you. There is no pastor. There is no church that can provide for you the things that Jesus can provide for you. He is the good shepherd. We listen to his voice. We follow him. He leads us into green pastures. He protects us from the evil one when we listen to his voice and we follow him. So we together follow the good shepherd. Now, I consider myself to be an under-shepherd. Last night, somebody said that they had a pastor who described themselves as a sheepdog. You know, you've got the sheep, you've got the sheepdogs that run around trying to keep the sheep in the right spot. I thought, well, that makes sense. You know, the, the under-shepherd, the pastors are more like the sheepdog. You know, like we're not close to being the shepherd. But hey, we can be a dog that runs around, tries to keep the sheep in line. You know, that's okay. I can, I can catch that. So we see here in John 10, 10, that Jesus is talking about following him. He's talking about deciding to not go our own way, but to decide to listen to his voice, to follow him. And he will lead us into a good place of abundance. How can you tell if a shepherd is good at being a shepherd? Look at the quality of the sheep. Are the sheep fed and taken care of? Are they healthy, got their, all their medicine? Are they safe? Or are they just vulnerable to the wolf? You can tell a good shepherd by the quality of the sheep. Does he take care of the sheep? If we listen to the voice of the Lord and we follow him, he will lead us into good things. Now, this life has its challenges. I wish it was simple and just universal, but... Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you get martyred, right? 
Sometimes when we follow Jesus, it's hard and difficult, but he'll straighten all that out because there's treasures in heaven too. There's a special, special blessings, special parts of the resurrection for those who are martyred, for those who go through sufferings and hardships for the cause of Christ. But for most people, especially in the modern era, I mean, maybe somebody's like, oh, you're a, you're a Christian, huh? You must be a bigot or something. You know, like they might say something mean to you, but they're not going to kill you. I mean, very unlikely. Your property is not going to be taken because of your religious beliefs. We can experience the blessings of God in this country with the religious freedoms that we have. So we should grab hold of them. We should grab hold of the abundant life that God has for us. But it's very important that we follow, that we hear our Lord's voice and we follow him rather than going our own way and choosing to do what we feel like doing. And so that point is driven in, in Luke chapter nine. So let's pick it up. Luke nine, 18. We'll read through that and grab a hold of the context of, of that verse. So once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. So this time Jesus is with a small group of people, not in front of the big masses where there's Pharisees there. Some people like him, some people don't. And it's got a big, huge crowd, which is what uh, John 10, 10 was uh, the context here. It's in a small group talking to his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. So they're in a small group of people. Jesus is being proclaimed to be the Christ, the son of God, the alpha and the omega. And he's, he's saying, okay, now don't tell other people about that. It's not really time yet. That can mess up the plan. If you start telling people that. So this is the context that Jesus is the Christ. It's being revealed to his disciples. Verse 22. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is talking about his crucifixion and resurrection. He was talking about that in John chapter 10. He has authority to lay down his life, authority to take it up again. He's talking about that here. And then verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So this, in Luke chapter 9, it seems more serious. Jesus is proclaimed to be the Christ, and then they understand that the Christ is going to be crucified. This is something that no one in that time period had an understanding of a crucified Christ. They thought, you know, like Christ, the Christ would come and be a conquering hero, a conquering king that would, would devastate the enemies of Israel. And so to have the 
the king of kings be crucified on the cross and die. It made no sense. So he's revealing that, yes, he's the Christ, king of kings, Lord of lords, but that he will submit himself to crucifixion to be the sacrifice for the world so that we can be redeemed and that he'll be raised to life. And so we see kind of a a heavy thing and Jesus is telling them the cost of following him that they have to deny themselves and they have to take up their cross daily to follow him so this is it's it's very strong the main point of this is if we follow Jesus we get many good things you'll find your life your life will be saved and you're going to need to sacrifice everything to receive that blessing you have to give up your life to receive that life just like the sheep had to not wander off wherever they felt like going, but had to follow the good shepherd. We need to lay down our lives to God to receive good things. So together, these sections of scripture give us a more complete picture of what it means to follow Christ. It isn't that one is right and the other is wrong, but they weave together. Walking with God is a life of blessing. It is a life of abundance. It is a life of sacrifice. It is a life of self-denial. They weave together. We bring the sacrifice, the self-denial. We bring carrying our cross and God gives the abundance. God gives the blessing. We need to see both sides of it or we can become disillusioned. In the parable of the sower, Jesus is talking about different people hearing the word of God. There's the ones that reject it. There's the ones that hear it and they're super excited. But then when the sun comes out, the plant withers because they don't have root. Whenever there's hardship or persecution, they they fall away. And when we see both of these sides of of the coin, that yes, following Jesus is a life of blessing. It's a life of being forgiven. It's a life of walking with God. It's protection from anything because we have everlasting life in the paradise of God. We've got nothing to fear. It's a tremendous life of blessing, but it's also a life of sacrifice and self-denial and hardship and struggle. It's both. So we need to know that. Some things, you know, are paradoxes like that. You know, it's kind of a paradox. I think marriage is a paradox. I get to do different kinds of premarital counseling and I get to speak at weddings and stuff like that. And I like to talk about the marriage paradox. It's simply this. The husband has to give more than he takes, right? Or it's not going to work. And the wife needs to give more than she takes or it's not going to work. You've got to give more love. You've got to give more respect than what you receive. But if both the husband and the wife give more than they take, then they'll both receive more than they could possibly give. So it's a paradox. If they both give more than they take, they'll both get more than they gave. It's an amazing thing. It's a paradox. There's the church attendance paradox. How many people, when you come to church, have come to church and just thought, man, I don't know that I got anything out of that service that week. You know, like, ugh, I'm not sure if that really did anything for me. Well, Is it about you receiving something or is it about self-denial and sacrifice? Which one is it? Well, it's about both, but here's the deal. I'll liken it to me going to pastor's meetings. I get the opportunity to go to pastor's meetings, both locally with our local pastors here. And then within the assemblies of God, I get to go to these meetings. And let me tell you, there are times where I've gone to pastor's meetings and not gotten fed. You know what I'm saying? Like it would seem like just an absolute waste of time. 
But if you continually participate, continually build relationships, continually belong in that group, then as time goes by, all of a sudden now, you have a network of people that care about you, who are there with you, and it's way more valuable than what you gave up to have it. And it's the same thing with coming to church. We come to church, you know, oh, I'm not getting fed. Well, hallelujah. That means it's time for you to start serving now. You know, like it's not just about eating. You know, Jesus didn't say, if anyone would come after me, he must eat a lot in church services. That's not what he said. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So hopefully you get fed. You know, I'm trying to give you something good. But at the same time, it's not about getting something good. It's about serving the Lord effectively. So There's a paradox. You come to church and you give more than you take. But if you've got a whole bunch of people coming to church, giving more than they take, and you get to be part of that group, all of a sudden now the faith community that you get to be a part of is so valuable. It's worth way more than what you could possibly give. And it's the same with walking with God. When we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we basically give ourselves up. But then We get to find who we truly are. We get to receive who we truly are. This is the synthesis of John 10, 10 and Luke 9, 24 and 25. So John 10, 10, again, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That sounds super good, but we synthesize it now with Luke 9, 24 and 25 This is where Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. This is a paradox. How do you save your life by giving up your life? And verse 25, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? This concept is in the gospels six different times. I like this particular way that it reads in Luke 9 because it clearly says, that you'll forfeit yourself. This absolutely is talking about you don't want to have everything in this world but miss eternity. You know what I mean? You don't want to have a great life here and then go to hell. Obviously, you don't want that. But there's another meaning here that I think is extremely powerful, and it is this, that you can chase after the things of this world and lose who you are. You can lose yourself. You end up living the life that other people's expectations put on you. And you just are doing what you're supposed to, but you lose your personal identity. You don't get to live the life you were truly created to live because you're just doing what other people expect you to do. You're chasing after the pleasures of this world that end up not producing what you thought they would produce anyway, and you can lose your very self. Now, when I got saved years ago, I quit my life. I understood Luke 9, 23. I understood, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross. I caught that. Somehow I missed John 10, 10. (laughs) Somehow I missed that one, but I caught Luke 9, 23. And so I quit my life. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to go follow Jesus. I quit school. I just walked away. I mean, it wasn't the same day. It took some time. But I was just like, what's the point of all this? This world's going to burn. You can't bring anything with you anyway. 
So why do I even need anything? Who cares? This all just seems pointless. You know, this is a created reality. That's, it's going to go away. There's a spiritual reality that's more real than this. I want to know about that one. And so I just, I left everything. And here's what I found out. I didn't leave anything. I went to everything. And I was able to grab hold of the greater thing. And now I got to tell you, ministry life is hard. You know what I'm saying? But it is great. I'm living the dream, man. You know, like, this is fantastic. If I hadn't walked away, if I had tried to manage everything, you know, well, I got to make sure I got enough of Jesus in here so I don't go to hell, you know, all that. But um, I just don't want to give up my life, really. If, if I hadn't just walked away, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be able to be in this place. So now I get to see what abundant life is from the perspective of someone who was on a nice track. And who said, you know what? I guess that's not me. I'm going to go a completely different direction. So when we give our lives to Christ, when we deny ourselves, we actually get to find ourselves. And that's the Christian existential paradox. How do I find me? How do I be me? How do I get to live my life and not miss it in the one shot that I get? Well, the paradox is when you give it up, when you give your life up to follow Christ, to serve him, that's when you truly get to live the life you were created for that you can grab hold of. And man, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. So we need to realize that walking with God Following Christ is a life of abundance and it's a life of sacrifice and self-denial. When I was a new Christian, I described that I I got the idea of self-denial and sacrifice. And I think years ago, 50 years ago, the church was all about self-denial and sacrifice. You know, I don't think that there were too many church services 50 years ago that you could go to and they would talk about the blessings of God and the goodness of God and all the good things that we get from God. It was sacrifice, 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 self-denial, self-denial, self-denial. That ended up not being very life-giving to people. It ended up being too harsh and too dark because it's only part of the truth. Now I think there's more people blessing, 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 And hallelujah for that. I'm so glad that I learned about John 10.10, about the abundant life in Christ. Because I was perfectly willing to go my life with the misery gospel and have it all be about self-denial and sacrifice and hardship and pain. Because I knew, you know, the future is going to be better. But the actual truth is that God wants to give us abundant life now in this life as we deny ourselves and follow him. We can have both. And so if you know that you lean one way or the other, you're like, oh, I'm all about self-denial and sacrifice. Let me encourage you. The blessings of God are real. Open yourself up to the goodness of God, to abundant life. If you're just all about, well, I want this. I want that. I'm not going to come to church unless it's worth it for me. I'm not going to, you know, read my Bible unless I get something fantastic every time. And when I go one devotional without it being all that great, like I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, guess what? You need some self-denial and sacrifice because without it, you're not going to get to the abundance side. We need both. So if you lean one way or the other, as we pray, I want you to try to grab hold of the other side because they work together. The sacrifice is our part. The self-denial, the carrying our cross, that's our part. God's part is the blessing part. It's the outcome that comes from us giving our lives to Christ. I want to read 1 Timothy 6.6 as our closing verse. 
Because people can think there's a contradiction when there isn't. Denying yourself, carrying your cross, and following him, that is the path to abundant life. It is where abundant life is built. If we don't follow the good shepherd, we don't get led into green pastures. But people can be afraid. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, a young leader in the church. He's trying to help Timothy know how to deal with people who are worrying about money and serving God and they see a conflict. Do I, do I make sure I take care of my financial life first or do I take care of my life with Jesus first? How do I do that? Because I'm afraid. I don't want to miss out financially. And here, Paul is telling Timothy that you can have both. You can have contentment. And this is talking about financial contentment, not necessarily having more than the next person, but you can be content in your heart and have godliness at the same time. And so as we pray, if you lean one way or the other towards self-denial in the absence of the abundance of God or towards the abundance of God without self-denial, let's grab hold of that. If you think, well, I can go towards godliness, but I know that'll be a life of misery. No, you can have contentment and godliness. If you think, well, I want to be content in my life, so I'm just going to get enough of God to hopefully make it to heaven. And, you know, no, you can have both. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's seek after both. Let's deny ourselves and follow Christ and receive the abundance of God. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the whole picture that we know that following you is a life of self-denial. It's a life of carrying our cross. It's a life of green pastures and abundance. Thank you, Lord, for that. Father, for those who are here and they need to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. I've been, you know, looking from a distance, but now you're sparking something in their heart. If you're here and and you need to listen to the good shepherd's voice and say, yes, you know what? I'm in, I'm going to follow you. I'm walking with you. I'm not going my own way anymore. I'm going to walk with you. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, for that individual, Lord, thank you for that desire. And Lord, for each of us, we say we will follow you. Speak, we will listen, we will walk with you. We will deny ourselves the path we want to go because we know your path is better. Your path is the path to abundant life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us, are we leaning too far towards self-denial and missing the abundant life that you promise us? Are we leaning too far into wanting to receive the blessings, but forgetting about the sacrifices that we need to make? Lord, help us to see the whole picture. And Father, I pray for each one here that we would understand that we can have godliness and contentment. We can fully submit to you and live a life of joy and of peace and of contentment that we can be satisfied, that we can know that this life is wonderful and full of abundance, exceeding abundance in quality and quantity. As we fully submit to you, we can have godliness and contentment, which is great gain. So Lord, I pray you'd bless us in that way, that you would encourage us and give us strength and help us to walk in your ways. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.